special edition of PFTPM, and look who's back. After putting in two hours ultra early Pacific time, we had to get Miles Simmons back for his take on the decision by Panthers owner David Tepper to fire Matt Rule, because once upon a time, David Tepper fired Miles Simmons, if I recall. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Don't even do that. I don't know why you would want to do that. Don't start those rumors. You're the one who hired me from the Carolina Panthers almost two years ago, almost to the day. Actually, we're getting real close. So I don't even know why you would start our little show here by saying something like that. No, no, don't do that. Just making sure you're paying attention. We won't be hiring Matt Rule, frankly, now that he's been released by David Tepper. And yes, I was kidding. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm Thank sorry. Thank you. For the record. <laughs> For the record, Miles Simmons voluntarily left the Panthers to take a much better job with NBC and Football Talk LLC, copyright 2022, all rights mm-hmm. reserved, DBA, mm-hmm. profootballtalk.com. All right. So look, and I, I, I also feel a little bit bad that we're injecting some levity into the fact that Matt Rule has been fired by the Panthers. But as we discussed on PFT Live, you get to a point where I think you're relieved if you're Matt Rule. You know what's coming. And this is where I credit Tepper, Miles. He knew he was going to do it. You've been making this point. There's no reason to delay the inevitable. It's not good for anyone to continue to bang your head against the wall when you know the result is not going to be any different. Right, exactly. And this is exactly what we were talking about just a couple of hours ago. And, you know, when you get a $40 million golden parachute that, as you correctly pointed out, you know, gets offset by whatever he's going to make at his next job, the, the, I don't know, I guess the conversation could then turn to like what Ed Orgeron said, right? What door do you want me out of and when do you want me gone? Because <laughs> $40 million to walk away and not coach the Carolina Panthers, yeah. I think that that is the best thing that works out now for both parties. And here's one very important point, because I saw Shefty tweet that Rule is owed $40 million. That's assuming that the full extent of his contract is guaranteed. One of the things that we don't always find out about is how much of a deal is guaranteed and how much isn't. The agent who represents the coach feels no compulsion to say, oh, wait, by the way, only half of that is guaranteed. Just like when John Gruden got his 10-year, $100 million contract with the Raiders, $100 million was not guaranteed at signing. That has changed. At a time when players are trying to get more of their deals guaranteed, coaches don't typically have every penny guaranteed like they used to. So we don't know. But whatever it is, whatever the buyout is, the sooner he's available for multiple colleges to say we want that guy the higher the price goes and we know what college coaches are making now it's almost as much if not more in some cases than what nfl coaches are making this is a prime opportunity for tepper to get rule out there you get multiple teams chasing him maximize the revenue minimize the buyout that's why it happened now and I started planting that flag over the weekend because I was talking to some people who were knowledgeable. And I didn't know it was going to happen today, but it, it got to the point where it sure made sense for it to happen today. Because based on what happened yesterday, we knew at some point it's going to happen. 
Well, it's not just based on what happened yesterday. Think about all the things that happened in the lead up to the season, right? You can't hire an offensive coordinator. So who do you hire? Ben McAdoo. When was the last time Ben McAdoo was calling plays in the NFL? That tells you right there what exactly was up with the Carolina Panthers, right? You are so desperate to try and find a better option than Sam Darnold at quarterback that not only do you draft the QB in the third round who ends up getting hurt in training camp, and man, that looks really unfortunate because now you don't even get this year to evaluate him, but also you go out and you trade for Baker Mayfield in July and basically give him six weeks to set himself up as the quarterback of the team. It was never going to work. These are the kinds of things that reek of desperation. And I don't blame Matt Rule for trying to do everything in his power to save his job. But when you can only beat a division rival in the Saints and you're going into places and you keep losing and the offense can't score, one and 27 when the opponent scores at least 17 points. 17 points. You can't outscore people when they get 17 points. Come on. This is the 2022 NFL. It was just not going to work. And like you said, when you have the inevitable, you know what the inevitable is. Just do it. There's no reason to prolong this. They were 3-0 and a year ago, and they were looking great. Sam Darnold was a touchdown machine, specifically with his legs, and then it all fell apart when Christian McCaffrey oh. got injured. And see, this is what teams do. They delude themselves into thinking when they're 0-0. Zero and zero that everything is going to work out our way. Everybody's going to stay healthy. Everything is going to be better. We're going to have, and then teams start playing against each other when all those teams have that same attitude about themselves and something has to give. And Miles, I think there's a an important point here. I was on CBS Sports Radio as this news was breaking, Ooh. and the issue came up in the context of the Cardinals and mm -hmm. what's wrong with the Cardinals. And I think this applies to Cliff Kingsbury, it applies to Matt Rule. It definitely applied last year to Urban Meyer. These successful college coaches, when they come to the NFL, they don't know how it works in the NFL. And I think their biggest flaw is, number one, scouting other teams with a very detailed, formulaic, specific, mm. meticulous approach to figure out mm. what they're doing and how to counter it. And I think most importantly, scouting themselves what do we mm -hmm. put on film what have i put on film all the way back to my first preseason game with the team what tendencies do we have what habits do we have that these highly successful defensive coaches are figuring out they've cracked our code and we haven't bothered to crack it ourselves we don't even know what they've gleaned it reminds me of what dan orlovsky pointed out a few weeks ago about a very simple tell as to where Christian McCaffrey was lining up relative to the quarterback in shotgun formation when he's off to a side. If he's back a step, it's a run. If he's up even, it's an RPO or a pass. And Rule kind of bristled at that, but unless you have someone on your staff who's constantly studying your own formations and what you do out of those formations and what you do in different down and distance situations and, and a level of detail that you don't really need to do at college. At college level, you just go get the best players and kick the crap out of the opposing team. That's the goal. So yes. I, I just, it's another reason to shy away from college coaches with no significant NFL experience. Cause I think a lot of these guys just don't know how to even go about making the sausage at the NFL level. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you bring up Cliff Kingsbury, and for whatever reason, I, I kind of forget that he is that college coach that has come in and has had some success. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call him a successful head coach, especially based on the way last season ended, even though he then got an extension until 2027, but we're talking about Matt Rule today. And we don't know uh, how much is so guaranteed for Cliff Kingsbury either. Remember, we don't know how long that's exactly. guaranteed. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the the really pressing point there. But I think with rule and with urban Meyer, that's a really good point where it's, they just don't necessarily know exactly how the day-to-day works of what it is that you need to do to be successful week in and week out, not just looking at other teams, but at your own team. And that rule did have a year of experience with Tom Coughlin in uh, with the giants, but you're talking about, I mean, you said it, significant experience at the NFL level, and, and he just didn't have that. I mean, his specialty was taking college programs that were way down and making sure that they could become competitive. This is not the same thing when you're in the NFL. You're not going out there and recruiting and selling people on your vision. You are taking professionals and elevating them to a level where they can compete with the best of the best week in and week out. And it was very clear, I mean, from Matt Rule's first couple games that that just was not necessarily happening there. I mean, it they never really were all that competitive. And again, you can go back to that stat, right? You're one and 27 when your opponent scores more than 17 points. That, that tells you right there. Teams routinely score more than 17 points in the NFL. That's just the way this thing works. It's a passing league. It's a points-driven league. So if you can't compete once teams score that much, then you're not competitive. And that just, to me, means you really don't belong as a coach at the NFL level, unfortunately. Well, and it also means you need a defense that doesn't allow teams to routinely score that many points. And that gets oh, back you to cannot do that. Incorporating <laughs> the three three five Phil Snow college defense, which can work at the college level, but there's a reason nobody else uses it at the NFL mm-hmm. level on a regular basis as their base front. Right. It's not effective at the NFL level. And you can have some initial success because teams aren't used to it. But eventually they're going to figure it out. And it gets back to what I was saying. What have we put on film? What are our tendencies? What are our tells? What are our habits? What are we doing to stay ahead of whatever they think we're going to do? And it's that much of a margin that can make a difference one way or the other. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield for a second. Oh, please. Look, you're a Browns fan. You've studied him with the Browns. He was good in 2018 and 2020. It's been a disaster so far this year for him in Carolina contract year, free agent after the season. I think his best case scenario would be a Mitch Trubisky type of a situation where he signs a contract. He's the starter. And then he has to wait and see if that team drafts a first rounder that he then eventually steps aside for. And for that reason alone, I think that makes a team less interested in him because I don't think they want that drama in their locker room where there's going to be a guy with that prickly Baker Mayfield personality who resents the fact that there's a rookie there too. And it just is drama and it's unnecessary. And I, I, I think there's a chance that much like Cam Newton, Baker Mayfield is going to be shunned because he's too big of a personality to be anything but the unquestioned starter. 
Well, not only is he too big, but he's not good enough as a game manager to be a good backup, right? I mean, how many times have we just seen him throw the back-breaking interception as he did on Sunday just before halftime? It's just stuff that you can't do. He's not accurate enough. He is too prickly. And and I don't want to just say, oh my gosh, Baker Mayfield's going to be out of the league because I don't necessarily believe that. There is talent there. Right. There is a reason why he was drafted at number one overall. There's also a reason why the general manager who drafted him at number one overall was then gone a couple of years later. But I I just there's something that some coach could get out of Baker Mayfield, but he's got to be in basically the absolutely perfect situation. And from jump, that perfect situation was never going to be with the Carolina Panthers. I know that they've got Christian McCaffrey. They've got DJ Moore. They've got Robbie Anderson. And those dudes are talented as three skill position players. But when you have somebody like Baker Mayfield who doesn't know the system, who's coming in, and he's probably not going to even be in a very good offensive system because, again, Ben McAdoo has not been an offensive coordinator for a very long time. You just were never really set up for any kind of success there. So I don't really know what's going to happen to Mayfield. I'm interested to see, A, what this injury is going to be for him and how long he is going to be out if he's going to be out at all. I'm sure if he has his druthers, he will still be out there every single Sunday because that's just kind of the way he's wired. But at the same time, I I don't know what the future looks like for him. I I said this on the PFT text chain. If I'm the Panthers, maybe I'm just going to go out there and sign Cam Newton if he wants to come play. You know, why not? Let's give the crowd something to be a little bit excited about because there's nothing to be excited about now. And you've got over half the season left, right? You still want to sell some tickets, maybe get a little excitement. Why not? I I don't know what they're going to do. It happened last year when they signed him. It creates excitement. The fans show up. They spend money. It's still a business. It's an entertainment driven business. I know it's fundamentally a sport, but you want people to show up, spend the money for the tickets, spend the money for all the overpriced stuff that's for sale at the stadium, overpriced parking, overpriced everything. That's what it's about. And if Cam Newton entertains everyone, if we otherwise are going to stink, what's the harm in that? And as it relates to Baker Mayfield, remember Josh McDaniels was very intrigued by him in New England in 2018. We don't know what the future is for Derek Carr in Las Vegas. We don't know. We don't know what Josh McDaniels is thinking. We don't know what Bill Belichick may be thinking about Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, or whoever, but it's hard for me to envision a clear path for Baker Mayfield being an unquestioned starter next year. A lot of things are going to have to happen. We have to see how the musical chairs play out, what his financial expectations are, what his role will really be. And, and there's still 11 chapters left in this book or 12 chapters, 12 chapters left, five games in 12 to go. This 17 game thing still has me messed up, but anyway, yeah, We'll see where Baker is at the end of the season. There's a chance he's not going to walk through the door. A good chance he's not going to walk through the door as a starter. And then the question is, what's he content to do? And how much money is he content to make or not make with whatever a team would offer him? It may just be he decides, I'm out, I'm done. I'm not accepting backup quarterback money or a backup quarterback type of a situation. We'll just see. Okay, one last topic before we wrap this up. Spinning it forward for the Panthers. There was a report in the offseason that the Panthers would like to hire Sean Payton for 2023. And if you remember, it wasn't really a full-throated rejection by the Panthers of that report, which was just kind of weird. Um, It was very weird. 
I can't imagine the Saints essentially trading the balance of Sean Payton's contract, his rights, the ability to hire him to the Panthers because he's still under contract with the Saints. Whoever hires him will have to do a deal with the Saints first. If I'm Mickey Loomis, the GM of the Saints, I'm not going to trade Sean Payton in the division. Absolutely not. It's a non-starter. It's just a non-starter. And I don't know what they would have to give up in order to get him from the Saints, but I I just wouldn't do it because you, if you're not going to be coaching for us, we would prefer it if you coach in the AFC, but certainly not another team in the NFC South. So, I mean, I think that they can want him all they want to, right? And there's obviously a good reason for Sean Payton to be the most coveted head coaching candidate in this upcoming head coaching cycle. He has won a Super Bowl before, and he was very successful there in New Orleans. But, yeah, I cannot see under most any circumstances him being the coach of the Carolina Panthers. And what you said about that, it not being a full-throated you know, rejection of Sean Payton being a candidate that really struck me as odd. And that was another one of these things that kind of led up to the inevitability of Matt rule being let go at this point in the season. It was not, we have a head coach. We won't talk. Why would we even discuss who a candidate to coach the team might be? It was, well, we never discussed coaching candidates. Look, wait a minute. No, 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 no. The answer to this should have been, we have a head coach. His name is Matt rule. That's it. Full stop. And it wasn't that. So, I mean, there were a lot of tells along the way of what this was going to be. And it just so happens that here we are. It became clear to me when David Tepper was talking in the final episode of the All or Nothing series on Amazon several years ago, not long after he bought the team, that he was not going to rest until he has a franchise quarterback, a great head coach, and a great GM. Now, if I'm Scott Fitter, I'm starting to wonder whether or not I'm next because Tepper has been going through quarterbacks and coaches and Fitter is the first GM that Tepper has hired. But now comes the urgency and the importance of getting the right coach. And whether it's Sean Mm -hmm. Payton or someone else, Miles, that's going to be job number one for Tepper. He got it wrong with rule. Now he's going to try to get it right. And the only thing I can say with certainty is it won't be a college coach. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's pretty fair. Hey, they got Steve Wilkes, you know, as the interim right now. What do you think of that? Especially because Steve Wilkes is a part of the Brian Flores lawsuit. I like the fact that they didn't shy away from Wilkes because of that. It's very good. That's encouraging. But really, who else were they going to give the whistle to? They weren't going to give it to Ben McAdoo, have him break out his giant suit again for the press conference. That wasn't going to happen. But, you know, the other side of this, Miles, and I'm interested for your thoughts on this, I One of the arguments in the Flores-Wilkes-Horton case, and Wilkes is really the guy who's pushing this the strongest of the three, I was set up to fail. So Wilkes now has his coaching record further tarnished by a crappy team because they're going to lose games. And it's no reflection on Wilkes, but you know what? The final win-loss record for the rest of the year is going to go on Wilkes' permanent record, and it gets connected to the horrible season that he had with the Arizona Cardinals after he succeeded Bruce Arians. So I, I'm if, I, if I'm Wilkes, I, I'm tempted to say no 
And I don't know if contractually he could, but I just, I don't want this on my record. I want to be a coach again. And this experience is not going to help me be a coach unless somehow we go nine and three over the final 12 games. And David Tepper decides to keep me around as the head coach. I mean, it's interesting because there, there are only 32 of these jobs, right? So if you get the chance to be a head coach, how can you say no? You're not really in a good position to ever say no if one of these jobs ever gets offered to you. And one of the worst things to me about the Steve Wilkes tenure in 2018 with the Arizona Cardinals is that Steve Kime was suspended for a very long period of time after getting popped for a DUI. So there were things where he absolutely was set up to fail. And he here is now set up to fail because this is going on your record, even though you really were not a part of establishing the program here. This is not something where you are making all of the personnel calls during the off season, especially when it comes to the offense. So from his standpoint, you know, it makes sense that this is an opportunity and people say, Oh, well now David Tepper has the chance to evaluate Steve Wilkes and see if he can be the guy going forward. And how often do we really see that actually being the case? And who on earth thinks that David Tepper doesn't want to make a huge splash as his next head coach. Come on. I mean, like I'm not trying to put Steve Wilkes down right now. I'm really not, but that, I think it's just the reality of the situation. So we'll see the way they play. We'll see if they get any sort of lift defensively, offensively. I don't know. But, I mean, when you're at this point and you have a chance to be a head coach again, even if it is just for the last 12 games of this season, why why wouldn't you want to do it? I mean, I know it's not necessarily going to look great when that win-loss record comes in at the end of it. But at least you get a chance to show how you are as a leader. And perhaps down the road, this is something that you can use for your own experiences to say, I don't want to do it that way. I know the next time I get my chance, I want it to be this way. And this is why, because when we did it that way, we stunk. And I think you make a great point. I think it's very difficult, if not impossible, to say no to the opportunity. And you hope that people who would be evaluating you for potential opportunities in the future would understand that you were stepping into a spot where the chances of having a, a percentage of success, even close to 50 are yeah. virtually unheard of and not going to happen. And, uh, but, but good for, for Steve Wilkes to, to take this on and we'll see what he can do. And we'll see if David Tepper really gives him a full and fair evaluation, but what can you really do with the ingredient? And this is where, this is why I'm saying Fitterer needs to be concerned. Because at some point, be. Tepper's focus is going to shift from the coaching to the selection of these players. I mean, Fitterer signed off on Baker Mayfield. Yes. Fitterer signed off on Sam Darnold. And and I know that I know that Tepper is the one who is pushing and pushing and pushing for a franchise quarterback. But the reality is, even when the owner meddles, the GM's the one who takes the fall. And yeah. If if I, if I'm fitter, I'm starting to wonder what happens when this season's over, and does the big splash include me being thrown overboard? Because I'll tell you this: if he would get Peyton, I think Fitterer would be out, and at best, Fitterer is working for Peyton. If Peyton even wants to keep him, that's the right. absolute most Fitterer's doing. He loses his his juice over the roster because whether it's Peyton or someone else, big splash guy, 
comes in and says, I want the power. And what's Tepper going to say? No, he wants to make the hire. Yeah, of course. And what do we talk about every off season should that the coach and the GM need to be in lockstep. They should be on the same page. So Matt rule was very heavily involved in the hiring of Scott Fitterer. So I don't necessarily see why David Tepper would want to keep Fitterer around if he's going to go with an entirely new football operation, which frankly, I don't see why he wouldn't go with an entirely new football operation. And so we will see, obviously, as the season winds down, what they exactly decide to do. But to me, it's always the best to have a clean slate there. If you're going to try to implement something new, go with a new head coach and a new GM. And usually, you want to let that GM hire the coach as well. So, or at least pair them together in some sort of way like it was within Las Vegas with uh, Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. In some ways, you almost might want to say the same thing with the New York football giants and Joe Shane and Brian Dayball. So I I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I mean, yeah, I would expect that there could be some changes in the front office as well with the Panthers. Well, the big winner here is another one of your former employers, the Los Angeles Rams because they get to play the Panthers this weekend amid all of this turmoil at a time when the Rams desperately need to get a victory to get to three and three. So we'll see how that plays out and how this Panthers inevitable job search plays out. We'll be covering it nonstop at profootballtalk.com. Maz, I thank you again for pulling double duty on a Monday. We will get back to posting content at PFT and I'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT.